0: Section two of A Book of Scoundrels by Charles Whibley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Captain Hind James Hind, the master thief of England, the fearless captain of the highway, was born at Chipping Norton in sixteen eighteen. His father, a simple saddler, had so poor an appreciation of his son's magnanimity that he apprenticed him to a butcher. But Hind's destiny was to imbue his hands in other than the blood of oxen, and he had not long endured the restraint of this common craft, when forty shillings, the gift of his mother, purchased him in an escape, and carried him triumphant and ambitious to London. Even in his negligent school-days he had fastened upon a fitting career. A born adventurer he sought only enterprise and command. If a commission in the army failed him, then he would risk his neck upon the road, levying his own tax and imposing his own conditions. To one of his dauntless resolution an opportunity need never have lacked, yet he owed his first preferment to a happy accident. Surprised one evening in a drunken brawl, he was hustled into the poultry counter, and there made acquaintance over a fresh bottle with Robert Allen, one of the chief rogues in the park, and a ruffian who had mastered every trick in the game of plunder a dexterous clifaker an intrepid blade alan had also the keenest eye for untested talent and he detected hind's shining qualities after the first glass no sooner had they paid the price of release than hind was admitted of his comrade's gang he took the oath of fealty and by way of winning his spurs was bid to hold up a traveller on shooter's hill granted his choice of a mount he straightway took the finest in the stable with that keen perception of horse-flesh which never deserted him and he confronted his first victim in the liveliest of humours there was no falter in his voice no hint of inexperience in his manner when he shouted the battle-cry stand and deliver the horseman fearful of his life instantly surrendered a purse of ten sovereigns as to the most practised assailant on the road whereupon Hind, with a flourish of ancient courtesy, gave him twenty shillings to bear his charges. "'This,' said he, "'is for hand sake.' And thus they parted in mutual compliment and content. Alan was overjoyed at his novice's prowess. "'Did you not see,' he cried to his companions, "'how he robbed him with a grace?' And well did the trooper deserve his captain's compliment, for his art was perfect from the first. In bravery, as in gallantry, he knew no rival, and he plundered with so elegant a style that only a churlish victim could resent the extortion. He would as soon have turned his back upon an enemy as demand a purse uncovered. For every man he had a quip, for every woman a compliment, nor did he ever conceal the truth that the means were for him as important as the end. Though he loved money, he still insisted that it should be yielded in freedom and good temper. And while he emptied more coaches than any man in England, he was never at a loss for admirers. Under Allen he served a brilliant apprenticeship. Enrolled as a servant, he speedily sat at the master's right hand, and his nimble brains devised many a pretty campaign. For a while success dogged the horse hoofs of the gang. With wealth came immunity, and not one of the warriors had the misfortune to look out upon the world through a grate they robbed with dignity, even with splendour. Now they would drive forth in a coach and four, carrying with them a whole armoury of offensive weapons. Now they would take the road apparelled as noblemen, and attended at a discreet distance by their proper servants. But recklessness brought the inevitable disaster, and it was no less a personage than Oliver Cromwell, who overcame the hitherto invincible Allen. A handful of the gang attacked Oliver on his way from Huntingdon, but the marauders were outmatched, and the most of them were forced to surrender. Alan, taken red-handed, swung at Tyburn. Hind, with his better mount and defter horsemanship, rode clear away. The loss of his friend was a lesson in caution, and henceforth Hind resolved to follow his craft in solitude. He had embellished his native talent with all the instruction that others could impart and he reflected that he who rode alone neither ran risk of discovery, nor had any need to share his booty. Thus he began his easy, untrammelled career, making time and space of no account by his rapid, fearless journeys. Now he was prancing the moors of Yorkshire, now he was scouring the plain between Gloucester and Tewkesbury, but wherever he rode he had a purse in his pocket and a jest on his tongue to recall his prowess is to ride with him in fancy under the open sky along the fair beaten road to put up with him at the busy white post-house to drink unnumbered pints of mulled sack with the round-bellied landlord to exchange boastful stories over the hospitable fire and to ride forth in the morning with the joyous uncertainty of travel upon you failure alone lay outside his experience and he presently became at once the terror and the hero of england not only was his courage conspicuous luck also was his constant companion and a happy bewitchment protected him for three years against the possibility of harm he had been lying at hatfield at the george inn and set out in the early morning for london as he neared the town gate an old beldam begged an arms of him And though Hind, not liking her ill-favoured visage, would have spurred forward, the beldam's glittering eye held his horse motionless. "'Good woman!' cried Hind, flinging her a crown. "'I am in haste. Pray let me pass.' "'Sir,' answered the witch, Three days have I awaited your coming. Would you have me lose my labour now?' And with Hind's assent the Sphinx delivered her message. "'Captain Hind,' she said, "'your life is beset with constant danger.' and since from your birth I have wished you well, my poor skill has devised a perfect safeguard. With this she gave him a small box, containing what might have been a sun-dial or compass. "'Watch this star,' quoth she, "'and when you know not your road, follow its guidance. Thus you shall be preserved from every peril for the space of three years. Thereafter, if you still have faith in my devotion, seek me again, and I will renew the virtue of the charm. Hind took the box joyfully, but when he turned to murmur a word of gratitude, the witch struck his nag's flanks with the white wands, the horse leapt vehemently forward, and Hind saw his benefactress no more. Henceforth, however, a warning voice spoke to him as plainly as did the demon to Socrates and had he but obeyed the beldam's admonition he might have escaped a violent death for he passed the last day of the third year at the siege of ewell where deprived of happy guidance he was seriously wounded and whence he presently regained england to his own undoing so long as he kept to the road his life was one long comedy his wit and address were inexhaustible and fortune never found him at a loss he would avert suspicion with the tune of a psalm As when, habited like a pious shepherd, he broke a traveller's head with his crook and deprived him of his horse. An early adventure was to force a pot-valiant parson who had drunk a cup too much at a wedding into a rarely farcical situation. Hind, having robbed two gentlemen's servants of a round sum, went ambling along the road until he encountered a parson. Sir, said he, I am closely pursued by robbers. You, I dare swear, will not stand by and see me plundered before the parson could protest he thrust a pistol into his hand and bade him fire it at the first comer while he rose off to raise the county meanwhile the rifled travellers came up with the parson who straightway mistaking them for thieves fired without effect and then riding forward flung the pistol in the face of the nearest thus the parson of the parish was dragged before the magistrate while hind before his dupe could furnish an explanation had placed many a mile between himself and his adversary. Though he could, on occasion, show a clean pair of heels, Hind was never lacking in valiance, and another day, meeting a traveller with a hundred pounds in his pocket, he challenged him to fight there and then, staked his own horse against the money, and declared that he should win who first drew blood. "'If I am the conqueror,' said the magnanimous captain, "'I will give you ten pounds for your journey.' If you are favoured of fortune, you shall give me your servant's horse. The terms were instantly accepted, and in two minutes Hind had run his adversary through the sword-arm. But finding that his victim was but a poor squire going to London to pay his composition, he not only returned his money, but sought him out a surgeon, and gave him the best dinner the countryside could afford. Thus it was his pleasure to act as a providence many a time robbing Peter to pay Paul, and stripping the niggard that he might indulge his fervent love of generosity. Of all usurers and bailiffs he had a wholesome horror, and merry was the prank which he played upon the extortionate money-lender of Warwick. Riding on an easy rein through the town, Hind heard a tumult at a street-corner, and inquiring the cause was told that an innkeeper was arrested by a thievish usurer for a paltry twenty pounds dismounting this providence in jack-boots, discharged the debt, cancelled the bond, and took the innkeeper's goods for his own security, and thereupon overtaking the usurer—'My friend!' he exclaimed,—'I lent you late a sum of twenty pounds. Repay it at once, or I take your miserable life!' The usurer was obliged to return the money, with another twenty for interest, and when he would take the law of the innkeeper was shown the bond duly cancelled and was flogged well to death for his pains. So Hind rode the world up and down, redressing grievances like an eastern monarch, and rejoicing in the abasement of the evildoer. Nor was the spirit of his adventure bounded by the ocean. More than once he crossed the seas. The Hague knew him, and Amsterdam, though these somnolent cities gave small occasion for the display of his talents. It was from Scilly that he crossed to the Isle of Man, where, being recommended to Lord Derby, he gained high favour, and received, in exchange for his jests, a comfortable stipend. Hitherto, said the Chronicles, thieving was unknown in the island. A man might walk whither he would, a bag of gold in one hand, a switch in the other, and fear no danger. But no sooner had Hind appeared at Douglas than honest citizens were pilfered at every turn. In dismay they sought the protection of the Governor, who instantly suspected Hind, and gallantly disclosed his suspicions to the captain my lord exclaimed hind a blush upon his cheek i protest my innocence but willingly will i suffer the heaviest penalty of your law if i am recognised for the thief the victims confronted with their robber knew him not picturing to the governor a monster with long hair and unkempt beard hind acquitted with apologies fetched from his lodging the disguise of periwig and beard "'They laugh who win,' he murmured, and thus forced forgiveness and a chuckle, even from his judges. As became a gentleman adventurer, Captain Hind was staunch in his loyalty to his murdered king. To strip the wealthy was always reputable, but to rob a regicide was a masterpiece of well-doing. A fervent zeal to lighten Cromwell's pocket had brought the illustrious Allen to the gallows, But Hind was not one whit abashed, and he would never forego the chance of an encounter with his country's enemies. His treatment of Hugh Peters in Enfield Chase is among his triumphs. At the first encounter the Presbyterian plucked up courage enough to oppose his adversary with texts. To Hind's command of, Stand and deliver, Julian forced with a loaded pistol. The ineffable Peters replied, with ox-eye sanctimoniously upturned, thou shalt not steal let him that stole steal no more adding thereto other variations of the eighth commandment hind immediately countered with exhortations against the awful sin of murder and rebuked the blasphemy of the regicides who to defend their own infamy would wrest scripture from its meaning do you not o monster of impiety mimicked hand in the preacher's own voice pervert for your own advantage the words of the psalmist who said Bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, moreover, was it not Solomon who wrote, men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry, and is not my soul hungry for gold and the regicide's discomfiture? Peters was still fumbling after texts when the final argument, deliver thy money, or I will see thee out of the world, frightened him into submission, and thirty broad pieces were Hind's reward. Not long afterwards he confronted Bradshaw near Sherborne, and having taken from him a purse fat with jacubacies, he bade the sergeant stand uncovered, while he delivered a discourse upon gold, thus shaped by tradition. "'Aye, marry, sir, this is the metal that wins my heart for ever. O oh, precious gold, I admire and adore thee as much as Bradshaw, Prynne, or any villain of the same stamp.' This is that incomparable medicament which the Republican physicians call the wonder-working plaster. It is truly Catholic in operation, and somewhat akin to the Jesuit's powder, but more effectual. The virtues of it are strange and various. It makes justice deaf as well as blind, and takes out spots of the deepest treason more cleverly than castle soap does common stains. It alters a man's constitution in two or three days, more than the virtuoso's transfusion of blood can do in seven years. "'Tis a great Alexiopharmic, and helps poisonous principles of rebellion and those that use them. It miraculously exalts and purifies the eyesight, and makes traitors behold nothing but innocence in the blackest malefactors. "'Tis a mighty cordial for a declining cause. It stifles faction or schism, as certainly as the itch is destroyed by butter and brimstone." In a word, it makes wise men fools, and fools wise men, and both knaves. The very colour of this precious balm is bright and dazzling, but if it be properly applied to the fist, that is, in a decent manner, and a competent dose, it infallibly performs all the cures which the evils of humanity crave. Thus having spoken, he killed the six horses of Bradshaw's coach, and went contemptuously on his way. But he was not a cavalier merely in sympathy, nor was he content to prove his loyalty by robbing roundheads. He too would strike a blow for his king, and he showed, first with the royal army in Scotland, and afterwards at Worcester, what he dared in a righteous cause. Indeed, it was his part in the unhappy battle that cost him his life, and there is a strange irony in the reflection that on the selfsame day whereon Sir Thomas Urquhart lost his precious manuscripts in Worcester's kennels, the neck of James Hind was made ripe for the halter. His capture was due to treachery. Towards the end of 1651 he was lodged with one Denzies, a barber, over against St Dunstan's Church in Fleet Street. Maybe he had chosen his hiding-place for its neighbourhood to Mole Percy's own sanctuary. But a pack of traitors discovered him, and hailing him before the Speaker of the House of Commons got him committed forthwith to Newgate. At first he was charged with theft and murder, and was actually condemned for killing George Simpson at Knowle in Berkshire. But the day after his sentence, an act of oblivion was passed, and Hind was put upon trial for treason. During his examination he behaved with the utmost gaiety, boastfully enlarging upon his services to the King's cause. These are filthy jingling spurs, said he, as he left the bar, pointing to the irons about his legs, but I hope to exchange them ere long. His good humour remained with him to the end. He jested in prison as he jested on the road, and it was with a light heart that he mounted the scaffold built for him at Worcester. His was the fate reserved for traitors. He was hanged, drawn, and quartered, and though his head was privily stolen and buried on the day of his execution, his quarters were displayed upon the town walls until time and the birds destroyed them utterly. Thus died the most famous highwayman that ever drew rein upon an English road, and he died the death of a hero. The unnumbered crimes of violence and robbery wherewith he might have been charged weighed not a feather's weight upon his destiny. He suffered not in the cause of plunder, but in the cause of Charles Stuart. and in thus excusing his death his contemporaries did him scant justice. For while in treasonable loyalty he had a thousand rivals, on the road he was the first exponent of the grand manor the middle of the seventeenth century was in truth the golden age of the road not only were all the highwaymen cavaliers but many a cavalier turned highwayman broken at their king's defeat a hundred captains took pistol and vizard and revenged themselves as freebooters upon the king's enemies and although hind was outlaw first and royalist afterwards he was still the most brilliant collector of them all if he owed something to his master Allen, he added from the storehouse of his own genius a host of new precepts, and was the first to establish an enduring tradition. Before all things he insisted upon courtesy. A guinea stolen by an awkward ruffian was a sorry theft. Levied by a gentleman of the highway, it was a tribute paid to courage by generosity. Nothing would atone for an insult offered to a lady and when it was hind's duty to seize part of a gentlewoman's dowry on the petersfield road he not only pleaded his necessity in eloquent excuse but he made many promises on behalf of knight-errantry and damsels in distress never would he extort a trinket to which association had given a sentimental worth during a long career he never left any man save a roundhead penniless upon the road nor was it his custom to strip the master without giving the man a trifle for his pains his courage moreover was equal to his understanding since he was afraid of nothing it was not his habit to bluster when he was not determined to have his way when once his pistol was levelled when once the solemn order was given the victim must either fight or surrender and hind was never the man to decline a combat with any weapons and in any circumstances Like the true artist that he was, he neglected no detail of his craft. As he was a perfect shot, so also he was a finished horseman, and his skill not only secured him against capture, but also helped him to the theft of such horses as his necessities required, or to the exchange of a worn-out jade for a metalled prancer. Once upon a time a credulous farmer offered twenty pounds and his own gelding for the captain's mount. Hind struck a bargain at once, and as they jogged along the road he persuaded the farmer to set his newly-purchased horse at the tallest hedge, the broadest ditch. The bumpkin failed, as Hind knew he would fail, and begging the loan for an instant of his ancient steed, Hind not only showed what horsemanship could accomplish, but straightway rode off with a better horse and twenty pounds in his pocket. So marvellously did his reputation grow. That it became a distinction to be outwitted by him, and the brains of innocent men were racked to invent tricks which might have been put upon them by the illustrious captain. Thus livelier jests and madder exploits were fathered upon him than upon any of his kind, and he has remained for two centuries the prime favourite of the chapbooks. books Robbing alone, he could afford to despise pedantry. Did he meet a traveller who amused his fancy, he would give him the password, The fiddlers paid, or what not, as though the highway had not its code of morals. Nor did he scruple, when it served his purpose, to rob the bunglers of his own profession. By this means, indeed, he raised the standard of the road, and warned the incompetent to embrace an easier trade. While he never took a shilling without sweetening his depredation with a joke, he was, like all humorists, an acute philosopher. Remember what I tell you, he said to the foolish persons who once attempted to rob him, the master-thief of England. Disgrace not yourself for small sums, but aim high, and for great ones. The least will bring you to the gallows. There, in five lines, is the whole philosophy of thieving, and many a poor devil has leapt from the cart to his last dance because he neglected the counsel of the illustrious hind. Among his aversions were lawyers and thief-catchers, Truly I could wish, he exclaimed in court, that full-fed fees were as little used in England among the lawyers as the eating of swine's flesh was among the Jews. When you remember the terms of his friendship whereon he lived with Mole Cutpurse, his hatred of the thief-catcher, who would hang his brother for the lucre of ten pounds which is the reward, or who would swallow a false oath as easily as one would swallow buttered fish, is a trifle mysterious. Perhaps before his death an estrangement divided Hind and Mole, was it that the roaring girl was too anxious to take the credit of Hind's success, or did he harbour the unjust suspicion that when the last descent was made upon him at the barber's, Mole might have given a friendly warning? Of this he made no confession, but the honest thief was ever a liberal hater of spies and attorneys, and Hind's prudence is unquestioned. A miracle of intelligence, a master of style he excelled all his contemporaries, and set up for posterity an unattainable standard. The eighteenth century flattered him by its imitation, but cowardice and swagger compelled it to limp many a dishonourable league behind. Despite the single inspiration of dancing a courant upon the green, Claude Duval, compared to Hind, was an empty braggart. Captain Stafford spoiled the best of his effects with a more than brutal vice neither Mulsack nor the golden farmer for all their long life and handsome plunder are comparable for an instant to the robber of peters and bradshaw they kept their fist fiercely upon the gold of others and cared not by what artifice it was extorted hind never took a sovereign meanly he approached no enterprise which he did not adorn living in a true augustan age he was a classic among highwaymen The very Virgil of the Pad. End of section two